seated. Well, let me encourage you uh, this evening to join us, if you can, for beer and carols. Other drinks are available. I do feel the need to uh, say that uh, this morning. Other drinks are available. It's a rare opportunity. In fact, it's a once-in-a-year opportunity to take over our Cado Lounge and proclaim Jesus in the midst of the pub. What an amazing opportunity. And we've been challenged, haven't we, over recent weeks to not remove ourselves from the public space uh, as we talk about Jesus. So do join us if you can uh, this evening. Uh, I encourage those watching online to join us as well. Kay said at the very beginning that you're very wise if you stayed at home. That makes those of us that came out absolute fools um, by definition, of course. Well, I stumbled across a little cartoon uh, just the other day on social media, and as happens with social media, the cartoon was there one minute and gone the next, and I wish I'd saved it because uh, I haven't been able to find it since. And the image was this. It was of a group of people cowering round the corner from a door, and on the door was the number 2023. And as they stood together cowering around the corner, they had a big long stick and they were prodding the door, which was the entry point into 2023. A people full of fear, a people full of trepidation, people wondering what on earth was hiding behind the door as we go into 2023. Entromophobia, it's called. Entromophobia, the fear of doors. Anyone have a fear of doors? Enter marphobia uh, is how you say it in old Cockney English to make more sense. The fear of doors, the fear of what might be behind a door. And it's not unreasonable, is it, at this point as we get towards the end of a year that some of us are starting to feel anxiety and worry, concern, trepidation about what might be behind the door going into 2023. Maybe you've got a bit of entromophobia uh, yourself this morning. We know a God who can give us peace, perfect peace as we confront the doors that are ahead of us. In fact, he's on the other side of the door already, and therefore, we don't need to worry about it. Entromophobia is exactly what God's people had throughout much of their history. Every single year that came around, the dawning of every single new year probably brought to them a certain amount of fear and anxiety and worry. Now, that was especially true in the days of the prophet Jeremiah and the prophet Isaiah, who we're going to be thinking about a little bit this morning. These were people who were living in troubled times. They were living in troubled times. If there's one thing that God's people knew really, really well from their history, and especially from their purple, purple personal experience, it was this. A good king is hard to find. A good king is hard to find. And actually, the truth is, maybe that's always been the story of God's people throughout history. They've always struggled to find a good king. When you think about Jesus' day, the people of Jerusalem, as they looked at the leaders around them, weren't exactly great. If they looked at a local level, they, they found Herod Antipas, and in him they saw a king who was a bloodthirsty oppressor, a narcissistic man, somebody who was only interested in serving his own needs, even at the expense of his people. Their local king was Naph. As they looked a bit further afield, beyond Jerusalem, as they looked at Tiberius Caesar, what they saw then was a man who, was, uh, who felt that being a successful king meant being a brutal military leader. Well, let's be honest, 3,000 years or more after Jeremiah and after Isaiah, even in our own time, it's still a difficult thing to find a good king isn't it? It's a difficult thing to find a good leader. Think of our history just over 
uh, recent days. In fact, as we look around the world today, we can see similar character traits of being narcissistic and self-serving and brutal in some of the leaders around the world today. Now, of course, we should be exceptionally grateful, shouldn't we, in the UK, that in our monarch, we have a king who, following on from his mother's own brilliant legacy, is a saint compared to some of the other world leaders that there are as examples around him. In our scripture reading this morning, Jeremiah, the prophet, has been speaking out against the kings of Judah. Now, these were the leaders of the southern kingdom of Israel, and he doesn't mince his words. He's very blunt in what he says as he speaks on God's behalf. Now, Jeremiah is speaking about 600 years before the birth of Jesus. This is what he says. Woe to you, doomed to the shepherds. Woe to you, doomed to the shepherds or to the leaders who are destroying and are scattering God's people. He then says, I will bestow bestow punishment upon you for the evil that you have have done. Well, in less biblical words, perhaps in the words of Alan Sugar, what he's saying to them on God's behalf is, you're fired. You're fired. You're rubbish and therefore you are fired. Now the failure of these leaders, of these kings, of these shepherds as scripture refers to them, had created a national disaster. And when you look at the national disaster and you trace back to the problem, the cause of that disaster, it is always consistently about the failure of the leaders. Bad leadership had destroyed a good nation, and that's exactly what's been happening, with a few exceptions, throughout Israel's history. Bad leaders creating a bad nation and causing all sorts of problems. Now, if you want to know what happens when a bad shepherd tries to lead sheep, just offer yourself to lead a flock of real sheep, and you'll discover the challenges. Taking a sheep from point A to point B is incredibly difficult unless you're a skilled shepherd. And so it is with leadership. Most of your sheep, if you were to shepherd them, I guarantee you would get lost. Why? Because sheep are pretty gullible followers. Ah. (laughs) Bad shepherds were cultivating bad sheep and leading them to some dangerous places. So in Jeremiah's day, God says, well, enough is enough. I'm going to do something about this. And when we decode Jeremiah's words, which I will read in a moment, by the way, through the lens of history and with hindsight, God is saying this. If you want to know what a real king is like, then you need look no further than my son Jesus. That's what Jeremiah is saying. Jesus is a shepherd leader who knows, who really knows what it means to take good care of the sheep. That was God's message then, and the good news is the message hasn't changed to this point in history either. So if you've got a Bible, let's look at these prophetic words of uh, Jeremiah. That was prophetic, not pathetic. Uh, Prophetic words of Jeremiah. I'm going to read from verse 1 through to verse 8. Speaking on God's behalf, he says, "'Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture.'" Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you've scattered my flock and you've driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil that you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them and I'll bring them back to their pasture where they'll be fruitful and they will increase in number." I will place shepherds over them who will tend to them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. 
The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and will do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the righteous, uh, the Lord, our righteous saviour. So then the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites up out of Egypt? But they will say, as surely as the Lord lives, who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of the countries where he banished them. Then they will live in their own land. Now, throughout the Jeremiah's life, the, the ambitious rulers of all the surrounding pagan nations had caused Israel's leaders, who were supposed to be God-fearing uh, men, to be little more than minions, to be little more than puppets on the hands of these pagan nations. The people of Judah had suffered under the rule of a whole catalogue of kings who were miserably incompetent and self-serving. Yes, they had had the odd good king. I mean, there was one called uh, Josiah a few years before, for example. He was a righteous king who led the people back to the worship of God. But then after Josiah came uh, his sons and his grandsons, and they were described as being evil kings. They were guilty of the refrain that you see over and over and over again in, in the Old Testament. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He forgot the Lord, his God's. Now, whenever Scripture says that about a leader, the same refrain is often repeated about the people they are leading. They did evil. They forgot God. And that's what happens when we turn our back on God as individuals or even as a nation, when we forget Him. He becomes a smaller and a smaller speck in the rearview mirror. And here's the thing. God does not want to be the God of the rearview mirror. These leaders, uh, uh, by their terrible example, were leading the people of God away from God and further into wickedness and into idolatry. Now, what are the characteristics of a bad leader? Well, let me tell you, their incompetence, their rigidity, it's a lack of integrity, it's volatile behavior, it's callousness towards others, it's corruption. I wonder, do we see that in any world leaders today? So Jeremiah opens up his mouth, and against that, that bad leadership, he speaks what God had revealed to him about his kingdom. And he describes a leadership that's going to be coming that will be dramatically different to anything these people had ever um, experienced before. Now, at first glance, all that Jeremiah is describing of this coming king would have been vaguely familiar to them. Verse 5, he would be a descendant of David. Now, you can imagine in this moment, as Jeremiah was speaking out this promise, it was probably stirring lots of hope in God's people, stirring memories of better times, of stories that they'd heard. They'd have said to one another, do you remember David? Do you remember the stories about David? He ruled the 12 tribes of Israel when we were all together. He was like the leading hymn writer, the leading poet of Israel. He spoke out such amazing things that pointed us towards God. David was the man that Samuel had described as being a man after God's own heart, a message that gets underlined again in the New Testament, a man after God's own heart. Oh, that I would be more one of those, somebody who was after the heart of God and pursued the heart of God. Oh, that you would be more a man after the heart of God or a woman after the heart of God for that matter. You see, David was a very effective signpost for God. His poetry, combining with his leadership, repeatedly reminded people of the wonderful truths about their coming Messiah and their Savior. 
But then God's people maybe thought a bit more deeply. And as they thought more deeply, they'd have worked out that there was a problem. You see, the glory days of the Davidic kingdom were long since past. They were a distant memory. They were the good old days of the nation. They'd been long since lost. God had promised that David's descendants would rule on his throne forever. That was the promise, but after David died, Solomon became king, followed by David's grandson, Rehoboam. And if you know your Bible stories, after Rehoboam's reign, the ten tribes uh, uh, broke away of the north, broke away from leaving Judah and Benjamin in the south. This was disaster. This was absolute disaster. Because the northern tribes had installed their own king, they'd set up their own kingly line, and what became of them? Well, surprise, surprise, they became wicked in the eyes of the Lord, and they forgot God. The Assyrians, who'd been a persistent thorn in uh, the side of Israel forever, would eventually conquer them and lead them off into exile. It wasn't looking good in the north, but it looks even worse in the south, you might have thought, well, it's okay, this, this, this Davidic line will continue in the south. But when you look at the southern kingdom, known as Judah, they were also a people who had turned their back on God. Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, had overrun this southern kingdom, and the people of God had been exiled as slaves. To be really blunt, it looked like God's master plan of a coming king from the Davidic line was dead and buried, but God. But God. But God had a plan. And Jeremiah was but one of the prophets who God had used to call the remnant of his people to repent so that they wouldn't ultimately suffer the same fate as the northern tribes. And so Jeremiah does exactly that. He calls God's people to repentance, to turn around, to to face towards God, to turn their back towards their enemies. And this is what happened. When they turned, God moved from being a tiny speck in the rearview mirror of their history, and God comes and gets right alongside them, becoming not only the God of their past, but too the God of their present and of their future. But Jeremiah did more than just say to the people, you've got to turn around, you've got to repent. He told the people that God was going to keep the promise that had been made about David. That from David's family line, the saviour of the world was going to come. Now, that was astonishing news. God is always faithful to his promises, even when the people of God are unfaithful. How many times have we heard that message this year? Oh, come, all you unfaithful. Come if you're weak and unstable. Come if you're guilty and if you're hiding. There's no need to run. See what our God has done. Christ is born for you. God can make a way where there was no way. And that's Jeremiah's news. Hey, here in dark times, this is good news if only you've got eyes to see. Jeremiah is reminding the people of God, and I think it's a really timely reminder for us today too, that God can take our mistakes and our mishaps, that he can take our weaknesses and our failings. He can even take our disobedience and do something beautiful with it. Beauty for ashes, gladness for mourning, praise for despair. We human beings have a terrible habit, don't we, of looking back at our history with rose-tinted spectacles. Do you ever do that? Hanker back after the good old days when everything was good. Steve Brady, when he was principal at Moreland's College, once said, well, the good old days weren't that great anyway, so I don't know why we look back at them. And actually, that was true of God's people. As they looked back at David, they had to remind themselves, well, David wasn't a perfect king. In fact, he was far from it. Do you remember Bathsheba, adultery leading to deceit, leading to murder, but God redeems the mess. 
That's the good news. God redeems the mess, and he's made it his business to redeem mess. It's what God can do with all messes, including yours and mine. You see, David's marriage to Bathsheba ultimately ultimately leads to the birth of Solomon, who becomes heir to the throne. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam, who after Solomon's death would become the first king of the southern kingdom of Judah, which, as Matthew's gospel is so keen to point out from the offset, leads directly from David to Jesus. God can redeem our messes. Even in bad situations, God is still working out his sovereign plan and purposes. God never, ever fails to deliver us on a promise, even when we do our best to muck it up. But the king that Jeremiah was speaking about would be more than just a fleshy son or a human descendant of David. That king would also be what Jeremiah describes in verse 5 as a righteous branch. In, in non-poetic language, that meant the promised king was going to be faithful. The king that was coming was going to do flawlessly what all the kings of Israel were supposed to be doing. Deuteronomy chapter 17 says this, When seated on his royal throne, he, the king, must make a copy of this law for himself from a scroll used by the Levitical priests. It's to remain with him and he's to read it all the days of his life so he may learn to fear the Lord his God and faithfully keep everything found in these teachings and these laws. In other words, the true king... A king that leads well would be somebody who carefully studies God's word. Didn't we see that in our late queen? Somebody who studied the word of God and who knew the word of God and sought to to live that out in her own life and in the life of a nation. Jeremiah is saying that's how it should be. In Deuteronomy, it said that the the king, the leader, should be a genuinely God-fearing, faithful leader who is a leader after God's own heart. And he prophesies here and he says, look, the king who's coming will be a righteous, faithful branch who's immersed in the word of God and somebody who cherishes the word of God with all of his heart. It sounds a bit like Jesus, doesn't it? But too, the king that Jeremiah spoke of would rule wisely and he would do what was right in in the land, but most importantly in the eyes of God. A wise king, not a foolish one. Again, it sounds a bit like Jesus, doesn't it? The wise king how we could do with some wise leaders in our world today. A faithful king, Jeremiah says. A wise king, Jeremiah says. But he says there's more to it than that. You see, this king's reign was going to be filled with all the good things that God had wished for and he longed for that all of his people would have all of this time, that they would know mercy from the king, that they would know a forgiveness for their sins, that they would know an eternal safety from all the slings and the arrows of the evil one. Jeremiah says in verse 6, this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord our righteous Savior. That's what he'll be called, the Lord our righteous Savior. Because of that coming king, who of course we know to be Jesus, Jeremiah could speak out that astonishing promise that the people of God needed to hear. In his days, Judah would be delivered and Israel will dwell in safety. In short, the days of the divided kingdom, which actually is just a picture, isn't it, of the brokenness of humanity with each other and before God, well, actually all of that would become a forgotten memory. This king was going to come and he was going to take a a sinful world, a world that was broken, and he was going to make it one again. There would be peace and there would be shalom. 
The king that was coming would be somebody who would unite all of God's people, both Israel and Judah, both the north and the south, the Jew, the Gentile, the slave, the free, male and female. And in his gracious, loving, merciful um, reign, it would be a saving reign. He would be a savior. That's what Jesus would do. It's what he was going to do uh, then and prophesied he was going to do, and it's what he's doing in my lifetime right now. Now, for God's people, probably all of that sounded far too good to be true. Pie in the sky when you die, but it was true. David and all the kings that followed, both the good and the bad and the ugly, were just a mere interlude before the true saviour king came. In a sense, all of these predecessors were just lessons to teach Israel that they can never be ruled any better than when God himself was their king. They would never be ruled any better than when God himself was their king. And in Jesus, that's what happens. In Jesus, that's the promise for us today. If we choose him, then God himself will be our leader. What an astonishing thought, that God himself can be our leader. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? He was. It's he who longs to lead us. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? And he did. It's the leader of every nation who would long to be the leader of us. Did you know that your baby is heaven's perfect lamb? That's exactly what he was and what he is. That your sleeping child, the one that you're holding, is the great I am, the title that's reserved only for God himself. God would again be Israel's king and he would be directly descended from David. Glad tidings of great joy I bring to you and all mankind to you in David's town this day, is born of David line, David's line, a saviour, a saviour who is Christ the King, and this shall be the sign. In the words of Isaiah, a prophet who spoke out similar words of hope into equally dark times, he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Wasn't that brilliant last weekend when Colin said to us, he will be called the Wonder Counselor, the one to whom we can bring all of our reality. We don't need to hide anything from the wonder counselor, and he can make things right. Isaiah went on to say that he would be called the mighty God, who in our weakness would fight our battles for us, and only a mighty God can do that. He will carry the sin of the world, my sin and your sin, on his shoulders. That's the hope, that's the assurance that propels us forwards into eternity, made possible only because of the Savior Jesus, who Jeremiah was speaking about. We have reason for hope, even in dark times. As you look to the door that's ahead of you, that's labeled 2023, would you know that God will be your strength as you face that door? Would you know today that God is a mighty God? Not in the sense that he's going to go ahead of us and he's going to smash all of our enemies out the park and crush them, which maybe is what God's people thought might happen. But he's a mighty God in that he's the lamb who was given, slain for our pardon. He's the mighty God whose promise is peace for anyone who will believe. He's the mighty God who has defeated sin and death and the power of the devil. How? By laying down his own life. See, in the history of humankind, we, we saw the greatest glory of the king of kings when he was crowned, not with a crown made of gold and precious jewels, but with thorns. This is the king. This is the savior that the world could never, ever invent. He's God's appointed king. That's my king. And he's the king of kings. 
I wonder if he's your king. So there's an invitation to come to this king if you have nothing because he's the offering. Come and see what your God has done when Christ was born for you. This Christmas time, we celebrate that Jesus doesn't reject us because of our own sins, but instead he, he's the one who makes us right before God. This Christmas, aren't we thankful that Jesus slept in the wood of a manger so some 30 years later he could die on the wood of a cross? We're thankful that Jesus was born so that he could die, so that he could give us life, and in doing so that we would be with him for the whole of eternity. If only we would choose him as our righteousness, as our saviour. He's my king. He's the king of kings. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And his name will be Wonder Counselor. Bring your reality to God today. He will be called Mighty God. He's strong. He's stronger than death itself. He's stronger than sin. He's stronger than Satan. He will be called Everlasting Father. We'll think about that next week and Prince of Peace. I wonder, do you know him? He's my king. Is Jesus your king? Let's be still. So I just want to invite um, Julie and the band, just come and join us for a moment. You see, this morning we, we have an invitation, and the invitation is to bring our reality, to bring our reality to Jesus. It's an invitation to come this morning with hands that are empty, bringing nothing, bringing nothing that can earn us our salvation bringing nothing that can make us right before God. The invitation is to come to Jesus himself, our righteousness, the one who makes us right before our heavenly Father. Lord, thank you. The invitation this morning is to choose the King of kings who is the Lord of all creation, to come to the King who truly rules all nations. To come to the one who lived perfectly and died perfectly to make a way for us. It's an invitation today to say afresh, Lord, I want you to lead me. I want to be led by God himself. Lord, as we look ahead to what's around the corner, Lord, maybe we might feel tempted to pick up a big stick and to cower. But instead, Lord, we accept the invitation. We choose to walk with you, God Emmanuel, God with us. the one who is mighty. 
the one whom, when we feel weak, makes us strong. Take our ashes, make them beautiful. Take our mourning, turn it into gladness. Take our fear, even our despair, and turn it into praise of you, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. The band are going to introduce a new song to many of us. Um, so please just stay in this attitude of prayer and reflection. Listen to the words. Respond to what God's been saying to you today. Let's not rush away from the gems that have been offered to us today. The treasures of truth. Um, how often do we just look and put aside and but to really dwell on them and absorb the beauty of the truth of the treasure that God's given us in himself. And as the song goes along, if you find you're recognizing it and you want to respond and sing and join in, that's absolutely fine as well.
had a, a picture while we were singing of a, of a king with his crown on, with all his robes. And somebody nestled in those robes, being hugged. And when you think of a king, I guess you can think of a king as someone remote that we can't approach. But we've been shown a king. We can run into his arms this morning, get lost in those robes, be embraced and loved. And uh, I just wonder if that pictures for somebody this morning. That perhaps you feel, or perhaps you've heard, come. Come, you unfaithful, you who don't deserve, come. You're welcome. I want to embrace you and love you. And so, Father, we hear your invitation to come. Your invitation to follow King Jesus. Faithful, wise, saviour king. And so, Lord, I want to take off that false crown of my own self-importance this morning. And maybe others want to join me. That crown that we've put on our heads and made ourselves king. And we want to bow. I want to bow my heart, my life to you again, King Jesus. And today, we want to choose again to follow you, our servant king, our faithful king, our wise king, our saviour king. We want to follow you. What a wonderful king we've been reminded of this morning. Would you bless us, King Jesus, almighty God, as we go out into this new week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. Do sit down. Uh, let's go out worshipping and following our servant king this, this morning. Please go with care. <laughs> Please be careful. It's very slippery and dangerous out there. But before you go, don't forget to have a look at the goodies that are on on sale in the foyer and also don't forget beer and carols if you want to have a really good sing of some Christmas carols this evening. God bless you.